Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Today we're going to be preaching on this passage that God started to highlight a few days ago to me. And I really truly believe that it is a message for right now because of what it is that God is doing. We see the Spirit of God moving. We feel it here in our services. We see it taking place in other parts of the country right now. And I believe that we truly are on the cusp of something that God is doing that is going to be greater than we could have really imagined. That there is something in the atmosphere right now. There is a weightiness for what God is going to do. And I believe that there's something in this message today that is going to continue to prepare us and to equip us. But I got to just give you a little bit of a forewarning. During worship this morning, I felt God saying that he was going to be smashing some things. It wasn't a gentle word. It wasn't a nice, soothing, comfortable thing where he's just going to redirect, which sometimes is how God moves. But, but today I felt like there was going to be a smashing of some specific things in our lives. And I don't know about you, but if God is the one doing the smashing, I am on board. I am ready for it. I am excited for it. Amen? All right. So we're going to start by reading in 1 Kings chapter 16, starting in verse 30. We're going to kind of set the stage for for what we're talking about here today. It says, And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him. And as if it had been a light thing for him to do, to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, he took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbel, king of the Sidonians, and he went and he served Baal and worshipped him. He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria, and Ahab made an Asherah. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all of the kings of Israel who were before him. This is no small statement. If you read through the books of Kings, you read constantly that this king came into power and that he did evil in the sight of the Lord. This king came up, he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And this continued to happen. And every once in a while, you would have a righteous king that would come up and it would say he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. But this king Ahab was so bad that all the other kings that had come before him failed to match his level of evil. That's pretty bad. Jeroboam, the king, the other king that it mentions, was a king that had built two golden calves as if the one golden calf wasn't bad enough in the wilderness. He doubled it. And he brought the people of Israel out and said, Hey guys, these are the gods who led you out of Egypt. Blasphemy. He he spoke these words. And there was this level of, of evil that existed in him, but Ahab surpassed even what Jeroboam had done. You see, when we read these stories sometimes in the Old Testament, there can be a tendency to want to look and see if there's any parallels to what are going on right now in the world around us. And I don't always think it's appropriate to do so, but there was something when I was reading this story, something when I was reading the actions of Ahab that started to stand out to me, and I believe that there are some parallels to the decisions that Ahab was making for the kingdom of Israel and what we are facing right now as a nation. I believe that there is evil that is taking place in our nation right now, and it is being put to the forefront. It is being celebrated. It's not just being accepted or tolerated, but it is being handed to our nation and saying, this is what is good. This is what is right. Embrace it. Make it your own. And if you don't, well, then you're short-sighted, you're narrow-minded, you're, you're all of these things. 
right? This is what's happening. But there's something that we see throughout Scripture that sometimes happens, which is that the people simply forget about God. They walk away from God. There's an apathy. There's a forgetting of His goodness. And then there's this. You see, what we're reading here is not just a forgetting about the goodness of God. It's a choice to turn to what is evil, to embrace what is evil. When we look at our nation, I wouldn't suggest for a moment that we've had this perfect history and everything has gone right up until this point right now. But there is a shift that has taken place where it is not just that we have stepped away from God, taken our eyes off of God, but there is this shift that has taken place to now embrace that which is evil. To not just tolerate, but to open the doors to the demonic realm in our nation to influence our children, to speak what is truth, to pervert what is truth rather, and to turn it into something else. This is the time that we're living in right now. And so we read this story and we see that this was taking place at this moment in time, but then we see God's response to it. You see, there was a shift in thinking that was turning away from God to what was evil, but God was about to introduce somebody on the scene that was going to bring a shift back to God. There was going to be a shift that was going to go from that which was evil to worshiping Baal to coming back to an understanding of the power the sovereignty and the goodness of God. I believe that is also what we are going up, we are in pursuit of right now. The goodness of God coming back to the forefront of our lives and our nations and our communities. So we see in chapter 17, verse 1, there is this man named Elijah who is brought to the forefront. It says, Now Elijah the Tishbite uh, in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord of God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, There shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. So as a result of the evil pursuit of both King Ahab and the people of Israel, there is a judgment that comes down, which is that there is not going to be any rain. There is not going to be any dew that your life source, that the water, that that which is meant to bring life is now going to be removed from you. See, there was a result of the decisions they were making. There was a result of the turning away from God. And so Elijah comes forward and he speaks this word. We fast forward a little bit. We get down to chapter 18, verse 1. It says, After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go and show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. Okay, so there's some good news in this. God's bringing back the rain. There's some good news that he is going to bring, but it says that it's taking place after many days. I think it's important for us to see this timeline here today. I believe that we as a nation and we as the church have desired and have been in pursuit of a move of God that would transform our lives, our communities, our churches. We call it revival, right? That that we have been in pursuit of such things, but it has felt like there have been many days maybe for some of us, maybe not all of us, that we have not seen the power of the Holy Spirit operating to the level to which we expected it to move. There has been many days that have gone by. And it's not to say for a second that there hasn't been a move of the Spirit. It's not to say for a moment that there haven't been the prophetic words that have come forth and, and God speaking to us and through us. But I don't know about you, church. I'm hungry for something more. 
I'm desiring something bigger. I'm desiring something deeper. I'm desiring God to move to such a degree that it is not just the church that is being touched and impacted, but it is the communities around us, that it's our family members, our co-workers, the people around us that are going to be coming in pursuit of what it is that He's doing. So there's good news. Rain is coming, but first, there's a few things that God needs to take care of. The answer is coming, but first, there's a few steps to get from the drought to the rain itself. So we go in uh, chapter 18, verse 10. Elijah has this conversation with a man named Obadiah, who was a righteous man. He said, I want you to go get Ahab. I'm going to come speak with him, and I'm going to give him a message. And Obadiah says, why did you have to choose me? I do not want to be the guy that has to come and speak to Ahab and tell him you're here. Ahab has been searching for you all over the place. He's been looking for you in every nation, trying to find you because, well, probably he wants to kill you, but he's been searching for you. And if I go to him and I say, Ahab has a message for you, and then I come back and the spirit of the Lord has swept you off someplace else, he's going to kill me. Now, apparently this must have been Elijah's mode of transportation, that God would just move him from place to place, right? But Ahab says, don't worry about it. I'm going to be there. Go tell Ahab I have a message for him. So we get to verse 17, and it says, when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is it you, you troubler of Israel? It's funny to me that Ahab the worst king that Israel has ever seen that has provoked God to anger more than any other leader is the one that is looking to Elijah and calling him the troubler of Israel. Isn't it interesting that sometimes in our day today, in our culture, that there would be those that would say that those who believe in the word of God are the ones that are bringing the trouble? Isn't it funny that the ones who believe in what God has said are the ones that are the narrow-minded ones? the ones causing all the problems. Why can't you just let people do whatever they want to do? Why can't you just let people live however they want to live? We're the troublemakers. And at times, we have been. At times when we didn't have the proper understanding of the love and grace of God, we have been the troublemakers. But Ahab looks at Elijah and says, you're the troublemaker. And Ahab looks back and goes, no, 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 no. You're the troublemaker. You're the one that because of your belief, because of your father's actions, because of everything that you have done, that you and your father's house, you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and you have followed the Baals. Once again, the wording is clear here. It was not that there was an apathy towards God only. It's that there was an abandonment of God. There was a walking away from the word of God, from the truth of God. And there was an embracing of that which was evil. So he says to Ahab, all right, we're going to have to have a conversation here. I want you to bring all of your prophets, the 400 prophets of Baal, the 450 prophets of the Asherah. I want you to bring them forward because we are going to have a showdown here. So Ahab sends out for all the people. They come to this valley. And now there is going to be a point in time where there is going to be a decision that is made. And so Elijah speaks to the people and he gives them this this decision. He says to them in chapter 18, verse 21, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. 
But if it's Baal, then follow after him. It's kind of like Joshua. He stands up and he says, choose this day who you're going to serve. It's either one or the other, right? And when this question is asked to culture, to the world around us, very often the answer is very clear. No, we're not choosing God. We're going to choose me. We're going to choose what I want, what I think, what's going to make me happy, what's going to make me feel good. That's what I'm going after. That's what I choose. But this question here wasn't being posed to the rest of the world. It was being posed to the children of Israel. It was posed to those who God had brought out of Egypt, had brought into the promised land, the descendants of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. It was those who had lived in the kingdom of David who had seen the goodness of God. And yet, when Elijah asked this question, choose this day, who are you going to serve, God or Ahab or Baal? The response is amazing. It says that there was not a word that was spoken and the people did not answer him a word. How is it possible that the children of God were the ones that did not have a response to the question, are you serving Baal or God? But once again, this, this was kind of the church of the day. And I have to say at times in the church of our day, the body of Christ, there have been decisions that have been laid out in front of us and we haven't always chose God alone. We've tried to do a mixture of this and that. We've tried to do a mixture of law and grace. We've tried to do a mixture of culture and kingdom. We've tried to do a mixture of what feels good, but also I want to go to church on Sunday and get a message and feel good there too. And so there is no response. There is no answer. There is nothing that they respond with. And sometimes I feel this way in church when there is something that is being put in front of the people and there is no response. Because sometimes there is fear that is bigger than our desire to move towards the God who is handing the invitation to us. Sometimes there's more of a worry about what the person next to me might think than there is to have the desire to move forward and to come after what God is inviting me into. There is an invitation in this time to the church to be the church. There's an invitation in this time to come forward and to understand that God is calling us into something that is greater, but it's going to require something of us. It's going to require movement. It's going to require an ability to trust in Him more than we trust in our past. To see Him as being bigger than our failures that we've had in our lives before. To see Him as being more faithful than the places in my life where I've screwed up. And maybe more than anything else, to say, God, I am willing to be uncomfortable in order to pursue you. I think this is so significant because of the times that we live in where everything is comfort. Everything is, hey, what's, what's easy? What, what, what's, what feels good? What is the thing that's going to bring me fulfillment on some level? And guys, sometimes in, in, in our pursuit of God, it is not going to be comfortable. Read the book of Acts. Read the life of Paul. Read, read the life of Stephen, cut short because he was obedient to the call of God. There is an invitation. Will we respond? And will we respond not out of our own ability, but out of his grace? We're going to touch on this again in a moment. I don't want to go ahead of myself. 
So everyone comes forward in chapter 18. Uh, Elijah says to them, he gives them the instructions. You get your bull, I'll get my bull. We're going to, to basically have this showdown here. We're going to have this time where you're going to create an altar and put the bull on there and get it all ready. And you're going to call down for fire. And then I'm going to do the same. You're going to call down from your God and I'm going to call down from the Lord, the only God. So they set everything up. Everything is prepared. The, the people do not answer the question originally that said, are you going to serve God or are you going to serve Baal? But then when Elijah proposes that they're going to have this, this test, the people are like, oh, that's a great idea. They won't choose yes or no, God or Baal. But when he's like, well, let's put it to a test. They're like, okay, I, I want to see how this is going to work out. It's like this skeptical mindset of like, okay, God, if you're really God, show up and then I'll make a decision. This is where their hearts are in this situation. So it says that they, that the, the followers of Baal, the prophets of Baal, they cry aloud. They, they, they reach out to him and it says in verse 26, and they limped around the altar that they had made, but there was no voice and no one answered. There was no voice and no one answered. And so they continue in pursuing him. Elijah starts to have some fun at their expense. He says, well, if he's really a God, maybe he's just busy. Maybe he just went on a walk. Maybe he's out relieving himself somewhere. Like, surely he's real. We're not questioning his validity, but maybe he just went someplace else. And so that they increase their hunger for, for Baal to come through. And they really believe in this. This is not like, they're not doing this for show. They start to cut themselves. They start to mutilate themselves. They cry out all the more for the answer, but it says no answer comes. If this isn't a picture of the world that we live in today, I don't know what is. The pursuit of the things that would bring fulfillment, but there is no hope in them. There is no answer in them. There is no satisfaction in them except for the brief momentary satisfaction. And there is the cutting and the mutilating that is taking place right now in pursuit of things that are not God, trying to find answers that they will never have. I was speaking to a pastor the other day, and he said, you know, it's amazing to me how often people will blow up their lives, figuratively speaking, because there is a need that they have, and they look for answers in all the wrong places. And he wasn't talking about the world. He was talking about the church. That there are those who will walk away from marriages, relationships, that will go into affairs, that will go into pornography, that will go into places of, of substances and, and all of these things, trying to find some comfort, trying to find some fulfillment, and literally blowing up everything that they have, relationships, families, children, all these things, because they never dealt with the real need, and they never found the, the fulfillment that is meant to be found in the goodness of God. You see, the world is always going to go after things. The church often will go after things, but we need to be the ones who actually walk out the answer, that, that walk out the goodness of God. And, and I'm not for a moment suggesting that it's always easy. I don't want to make it seem like, okay, you're a Christian, go to God, everything's perfect. There is 
work that is needing to be done inside of us to find out what's really going on beneath the surface. To find out the lies that we believe, the hurts that are there, why they're there, what's going on. It's not just enough to say, go to God, everything's going to be good. But we need to be the ones who are willing to really embrace the truth, the grace, the love of God, and to find the healing that only He can bring. But it requires work. It requires something of us. It's not this instantaneous result where everything is better and then we walk away. Or or when it doesn't work, then we go try to find something else. There's something about being persistent in our faith. Continuing on to pursue God in the midst of the trials and the circumstances and the things that don't feel good and the things that hurt. There is something about trusting in His goodness and putting our attention on who He is instead of the bigness or the pain of our problem that develops the perseverance that we need to continue to trust and to receive the healing that we need. So Elijah brings them before the altar. Verse 30. And he says something really profound here. He tells the people of Israel after there is no response from the prophets of Baal. He says, come near to me. Come near to me. I think that in our humanness, if we were Elijah, we probably would have spoken to the people of Israel and said, you had your chance. You could have chose God, but you didn't answer. You, you had the ability to, to actually walk in faith, but you said, well, I'm going to just wait and see. You guys go away. I'm going to let God show off here. But what Elijah does is, I believe he's, he's resembling the father heart of God in that he speaks to the people and he says, come near to me. There is this call from God to the people that have walked away from him, that have ignored him, that have pursued evil. And he looks at them and he says, come near to me. Come back, my children. Come back, my children, because there is something that I want to do in this moment, in this time. Would you come back to me? And it says that Elijah then rebuilds the altar of God that had been torn down. Come near to me, and then he rebuilds what has been torn down. It's not something that has just fallen over due to neglect. It's something that has been torn down. But Elijah takes a stone, 12 of them, representing the 12 tribes of Israel, representing the identity that God has for the people of Israel. He rebuilds the altar He puts the bull on top of it, and then he prays this prayer. Verse 36. Elijah prays, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all of these things at your word. I think that we need to pay attention to this prayer here for a moment, because He is absolutely praying, God, show up and bring your fire because the people need to know who you are. But I also wonder if there's a part of him that's saying, God, please show up. Please. Like, I I talked a big game here. I got everything ready. The people are here. We've drawn them them in. I've poured water all over the altar three times just to make it a little bit more challenging. Would you please show up? I kind of need you here. Like there's this stepping out on a limb. We read these stories, but, but this, these are human beings, right? And I know me in that moment, I'd be like, God, please, 
Can, can you please show up here? And I just want to point back to, to Elijah having them pour water on the altar as well. I do believe that there is a part of this where it was just to show God can do anything. It doesn't matter if this altar is completely saturated. But the thing that I see when I read this story is that Elijah was taking the most valuable commodity at that time, the water, which there was a lack of. It was the thing that they needed more than anything. It was the thing that they didn't have enough of. This is why ultimately they're here. All of this has come to a head. And yet he takes the very thing that is in scarce supply and he pours it out on the altar of God. There's a principle in here in our lives that we have to be willing to take the thing that matters the most, that feels like it's in the most short supply, that feels like there's not enough of it, and to give it back to God and to say, God, I trust you with all of it. This is in our finances, this is in our relationships, this is in our, in our uh, places of work, our jobs, our occupations, all of these things. God, I trust you with the little bit that I have because I know that you can do anything. There was a great faith in what Elijah was doing and, and he was speaking to something. But then he goes on to say this in verse 37. He says, answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Notice what he doesn't pray here. God, send the fire so that they will turn their hearts back to you. He said, God, send the fire as a confirmation of what you are already doing in this moment. There is something that God is doing in drawing the people near to him and saying, come near to me, that he is actually repairing and restoring broken places inside of them before the answer and the power actually comes. There is a miracle that is taking place and the fire is going to be the confirmation of the miracle. We look at the fire as the miracle and for sure it is. But what's the greater miracle? That God is already restoring the hearts of the people back to him. This word heart is the Hebrew word leb, which means more accurately soul, mind, will, and emotions. I want to say this today that I believe that in the moments, even when we don't fully recognize it, that God is working to heal and to restore our places of thinking, our places of feeling, our places of choosing, the internal part of who we are. And it is our responsibility to start to recognize the pull, the invitation, the thing that he is already doing before we get the answer that we've been looking for. So often we're just looking for the answer, looking for the manifestation. When it comes, then I will. When it comes, everything is going to be better. When it comes, life is going to look the way I expected it to look. But what if God is already doing the work in advance of the miracle, in advance of the fire, in advance of the rain, because he is good enough to know exactly what you need. God is doing something here. I, I just want to rewind here just for a second because when we talk about the altar that Elijah restores, what he's restoring is the dependence and the reliance back on God. But what he's also doing is bringing the people of Israel back to the holy awe, reverence, respect, and fear of God. Once again, this is the nation of Israel. This is the people of Israel. And yet what they had lost 
was the fear of God. The God who had actually led them out of Egypt. The God who had actually parted the Red Sea. The God who had actually provided for them and led them and called them out and brought them through the battles and brought them through Jericho and brought them into the promised land. They had lost the respect, the fear, and the awe of God. Before we get to the miracle, before we get to the manifestation of the power, I truly believe this, that God is tearing down the old idols the old altars, the old ways of thinking. This is what I believe God is shattering right now in this time. And what he is restoring back in its place is the understanding of the sovereignty, holiness, and goodness of God. But there is a part for us to play in all of this. There is something that we are called to do in tearing down what is old to reestablish what God has already done and what he is doing in this time. Even in this moment right now, I just want to ask if you to close your eyes with me. Father God, I just thank you right now through your Holy Spirit that any places where there have been altars that have been erected to any other God, to any idol, to any belief system, to any way of thinking that is not you, Lord God, that is not the truth of your word, I thank you that right now, Holy Spirit, that you would tear those things down and that you would smash them, that they would be shattered in our lives, that you would reveal what they have been, and that you would break them right now. That any power that we have given them, that any authority that we've allowed them to have in our lives, I just thank you right now, Holy Spirit, that you would break them, destroy them, and remove them. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. So once again, verse 37, Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. And verse 38 says, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. They turned back to him. They reestablished the altar. They came near to him and God sent the fire that was needed as the example, as the representation of who he was. There was a shift that was taking place from the evil, idolatrous ways of pursuing after Baal, coming back to God as father, coming back to God. This is what God was wanting to do through this entire story. This is the reason why Elijah was raised up in this time. This is the reason why he used the example, he used the situation of the drought and the famine because what he was wanting to do was to bring his people back to him so that he could send the fire. But he wasn't done there. The fire, though, is so important. The fire is something that we need to be so aware of because I truly believe that when we look back at Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost where the fire fell from heaven, that that was simply just the starting point of what the church was meant to do and who they were meant to be. I believe that the fire that fell from heaven was simply just the beginning. It was the catalyst. It was the starting point. It was the foundation of who we are meant to be as the church. And I believe that we are called to pursue and to walk in the power of God. That we are, we are called to actually believe with our expectation and our hearts being in alignment with Him that we are going to start to see His power at work in our lives. That we're going to see power in our words, power in our speech. As Pastor Dave said, someone just got healed last service. Just in the middle of the message. 
because I believe what God is doing in this time. There is a power, but we're not supposed to just stop at the power because the next line here, the next verse here in verse 41 is that Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of the rushing of rain. The answer that we have been waiting for, the thing that we've been going after, water that represents the Spirit, it's coming. But here's the thing. Was there any evidence of it? Could they see it? Could they feel it? Was there moisture in the air? Did they take out their barometer and look at the forecast and say, okay, rain's coming? No, there was still no evidence of it. And yet it says Elijah heard the sound. What I believe these last couple of weeks have been leading up to this point and going forward is that it has been us recognizing the sound of what is coming. That there is something that God is wanting to do in this time. And that if we would be sensitive to listen, if we would be sensitive to hear His voice, that we would recognize that there is something coming. The rain that represents the life force, that represents the spirit, that represents the need that we have to operate in our identity that has been given to us by God. It is the thing that is coming. If we would just be aware of it to prepare our hearts and to be ready for what he's going to do. In my prayer time, in my, in my time where I'm studying, I am constantly asking God, God, would you send your power in a new way? Would you bring revival to us? We're hearing about revival in other parts of the country and I love it and I'm so excited about it and I'm tuned into it. I'm watching the live stream. I'm doing all those things, right? But why not here and why not now? I believe God is wanting to do things across the nation. And not just here. Not just at Faith Assembly. I'm praying for the churches in our community. I'm praying for the churches in Dutchess County. I'm praying for the churches in New York State. I'm praying for the churches of our nation that there would be a move of the Spirit that would not just be isolated in small places for periods of time, but there would be a movement of the Spirit that would begin to wash over our nation. There is something that is coming, and Elijah said, I hear the sound of rain. So he sends his servant out seven times. Do you see anything? No. Do you see anything? No. Do you see anything? No. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Do you see anything? No, I don't see it yet. I don't see it yet. I'm looking for it. I'm searching for it. I'm seeking it, but I don't see it yet. And finally, his servant comes back and says, I saw a cloud. It's the size of a man's hand. This cloud, I'm sure it was kind of just like an afterthought. Like, okay, there's a cloud, but this cloud was not going to bring the restoration of Israel. This cloud was not going to be enough to bring the rain, but he was able to see something in what God was doing. And at the moment he saw the cloud, he said, okay, it's time to go. I believe God has been doing things in our hearts, in our minds, in our services right now to point us to the fact that it may seem small. It may not seem like enough that's going to change lives and restore families and bring community back to him, but it is there and it is what I am going to use. Even though it is small in nature, I am going to take that little bit that you have. And if you would put your trust in me and your expectation in me, if you would respond to the invitation that I am putting out before you, there is going to be rain and a lot of it. Behold, a little cloud like the man's hand is rising up from the sea. And he said, go to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, while the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, there was a great rain. 
there was a great rain. There was the answer to the prayer. There was the answer to what they were believing for. But it didn't start with the cloud the size of the man's hand. It started when they returned back. When they recognized who he was and they gave everything back to him. There is a time that we're living in right now that I believe God wants to do more than we could ever imagine. And I am expectant for it. And I am hopeful for it. And I'm desiring it with everything I have in me. I believe it's coming. I believe we're on the cusp of it. But I'm asking if we as a church body, as a community of believers, would be the ones who would stand up and say, yes, God. I know there's an invitation that you put in front of me. And I'm saying yes to what it is that you're doing. I'm saying yes to you. I want to tear down any other idol. I want to build again what you have already established, the word that you've already spoken. And I want to see your hand at work in my life, in my family, in my church, in my community, in my nation, that it would be something that would not stop here, but that it would spread throughout the world. There is something that God is wanting to do right now. And I believe that we are really very, very close to it if we would open our eyes to start to see with our spiritual eyes.